1: everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is day two of the first full week of uh, December. We are here. It is uh, delightful weather out there today. Oh, yeah. Kind of nice. Enjoying that. We, uh, we got a big week in uh, politics because tomorrow night, I guess you could call it that, is another debate. Uh, another one. Here we go again, as they say. This would be the fourth Republican debate. It's Round be... and round we go. Where we'll stop, <laughs> nobody knows what it feels like. This one is going to be held over there in Tuscaloosa. At the University of Alabama. It will be moderated by Megan Kelly. How about that? It's uh, News Nation is the leading broadcast partner for the first time ever for a debate. That is uh, kind of a new cable news network, News Nation. It will be airing the debate from 8 to 10 eastern time so 7 to 9 central time our time you got to go out and figure (laughs) do a little searching to find what the channel number is from your provider but that's the deal i think you can also get it on the website if i'm not mistaken this uh this ought to be something now it, is, it will also be on Sirius F, uh, XM, pardon me, radio, Triumph, Channel 111, in case you're interested, on Rumble for free.
3: I was about to say, they've got to be streaming it somewhere.
1: Oh, yeah. So, who's going to be there? Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina governor. Nikki Haley, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former governor, and the entrepreneur of Vivek Ramaswamy. They're all going after Donald Trump in the GOP primary. He's going to be holding a fundraiser at the same time in Florida. <laughs> you just wonder how much longer these candidates will be in the mix We're what? Until the money dries up. Well, and that usually happens after the first caucus, uh, first state, Iowa. That's what, 10, 11 weeks away, I believe. Around there, yeah. Yeah, pretty close. And my prediction is if Governor Ron DeSantis, who is really engaged in Iowa, I believe there are 99 counties. It's hard enough here in Mississippi with 82. Imagine 99. Uh, I think it's Georgia that's got 100 and something. It is really chopped up. I've always thought, I don't know this for sure, it's just a theory, that the further east you go, you know how the states are uh, composed of more counties, that that's just because they were settled first? and yeah, they've
3: had longer for uh, people
1: to argue squabbles, about right? <laughs> divisions and subdivisions. <laughs> Fiefdoms. <laughs> Uh, So, I'm predicting if DeSantis doesn't show very well, he's out. In Iowa, I think he's gone. Uh, Vivek, he's got some staying power because he's got some money. See, I would flip it.
3: I would say DeSantis has more staying power because of name recognition, and Vivek doesn't want to spend any more money if he gets his butt whipped in Iowa.
1: Well, there's a good chance they're all gone, honestly. Uh, I do think that Haley, of those three, Nikki Haley, probably hangs around. But we could be literally looking at a situation where shortly after the Iowa caucus, Chris Christie, of course, he's got to be out of there, too. But shortly after the Iowa caucus, we only got one candidate, Donald Trump, because the numbers don't seem to be changing in any material fashion as far as any of the other three there that are trailing, gaining any ground, on the former president. I don't see it. Speaking of the former president, you shared with us yesterday a statement from Florida Senator Rick Scott concerning the omission of Florida State in the uh, among the four teams vying for the national championship in the playoff. And uh, <laughs> Donald Trump, he got involved as as well. He blames it on DeSantis. <laughs> uh, he never misses an opportunity to take shots at his opponents. And
3: bless his heart. Once he, he gets stuck on a nickname, he's going to run with it. But I just... <laughs> I'm not feeling the sanctimonious. it just doesn't ring very well. Well then you wouldn't like his statement concerning... Well, that's why I brought it up because he used it again. It's like
1: is there nothing else you could call this man <laughs> on his uh, on his social media true social quote from Donald Trump Florida State was treated very badly by the committee. That's such a predictable statement very badly. Great, good, bad. That's pretty much it. Big and Huge. <laughs> Quote, they become the first Power Five team to be left out of the college football playoffs. Really bad lobbying effort. <laughs> Let's blame the sanctimonious. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. It's, uh, it is entertaining. <laughs> you have to give it that. We shall see, but uh, it it is what it is, as they say. This would be the last year. I have seen, have, have you seen the the brackets if the rules next year would have been in place? Oh, yeah, the what-if scenarios. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. The 12 teams involved there, which uh, includes Ole Miss because they're ranked 11th in the country. They'd yeah,
3: but have... because of Georgia's fall from grace, I've seen a lot of those what-if scenarios where it would have had Ole Miss and Georgia in the first round.
1: Oh, geez, that wouldn't, didn't turn out very well the last time. Uh, over in Texas, a Grinch, literally a human dressed as the old Grinch, uh, decided to take to the outside area setup of an elementary school. With a sign that says, Santa is fake. Jesus is real. Wow. He was, that's truly exemplifying the Grinch there, is it not? Apparently, this is a, quote, pastor. Pastel. Either there was
3: a scuffle, or he just didn't complete his sign, because I'm looking at it. <laughs> I saw that. The
1: word real is missing an L. <laughs>
3: but It does look like there's a bit of a tear, but then again,
1: where's the top of the L? I don't know. It's uh, It looks like a ransom note <laughs> sort of style. This individual's named David Grisham. Well, now I see a picture of him with the L. I do, there. too. I see both. I don't know what's going on there. So... Sleepy Hollow Elementary School in Amarillo, Texas. Now, Amarillo's up there in the Panhandle. Ever been there? The wind blows. It's unbelievable. Hadn't been that far out in Texas. It uh, really blows uh, quite a bit. It's difficult to play the game of golf, I found. You have to really perfect a low, boring wind shot to have any chance. Um... I don't know what's going on with this guy, Grisham. It, um, is a person who just is <laughs> intent on getting in front of kids.
3: I feel like we're burying the lead with the, the one story I've seen everybody talking about.
1: Okay, what's that?
3: The house that blew up in Arlington, Virginia.
1: I did see that. Explain that to the folks there.
3: So the latest update I saw, which this has changed about seven times since this happened last night, or late yesterday afternoon into the night, but the most recent update I saw was that police were called to the residence after the man inside was firing a flare gun from inside the home. Yep. And then on video, because it caused a bit of a scene, his neighbors were videoing the house. When officers approached the front
1: door... The whole thing went up. saw that. Do you think, in, I mean, intentional, stupid, what? Were they The trying timing
3: to, makes it feel like it had to have been intentional. it wasn't intentional, it was a huge coincidence that it blew up when the police were approaching the door.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you think trying to bait the, the law enforcement officers closer and then harm them in that
3: responsible? Possible. Although according to the reports, no
1: officers were seriously injured. That's right, but that it is really weird from a timing perspective. The village people, a little YMCA. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. We got Senator Chad McMahon at eleven oh five, and then Gordon Fellows with the Bankers Association at twelve oh five. Stay with us. Middays with
0: Gerard. G- yeah. So awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. I'm the chairman. Chairman of the bar. I'm the chairman, baby. Chairman of my baby bar. When it comes to loving, I'm a finished man.
1: Chairman of the Board. Over there in Houston, Texas, you know a runoff for the Office of Mayor is coming up. Sheila Jackson Lee, the representative, rather controversial member of Congress. She's running for mayor, and she is in the runoff. Uh, It's coming up in December. So she's been running ads encouraging folks to get out and vote. Only one little bitty problem. The ads state that you should get out and vote on December the 7th. Turns out the actual runoff election date is December the 9th. Little problem there. (laughs) You know, I've heard reports in the past, you probably have too, that she's not real nice to people behind closed doors. Her staff, right? Right. Treats them poorly. This person who claims to be a champion for the little person treats the little people on her staff Like dog meat. She, uh, it has been (laughs) captured that (laughs) by insiders close to the Congresswoman that the staffer who made this error, she accused them of, quote, not having an effing brain, and then proceeded to shout profanity vile expletives at this staffer. I'm shocked. She's such a nice person, right? (laughs) She blew it. (laughs) Her staff did. Did she not look at it, review it, before it went to the air? I mean, maybe shouldn't you do that? I mean, I guess you can't do everything. Sounds
3: like a job for the little people.
1: Yeah, I guess so. She thinks she's above that. It would appear so. Man, I I don't know. In business, you know, I, I get it. You, you can't review everything, but something that critical? I'm thinking that rises to the level that the person at the top, most responsible, would have a look.
3: Well, even if they don't have a look, they are responsible for the hiring and firing of everybody down the chain. Yeah. So if it went through multiple hands... The ultimate responsibility for hiring and firing of those hands lies with the head.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I I don't know. Um, On the ceasefire text line, we, we had quite the conversation yesterday about recent ordinance adopted by the city of Pearl nearby here in Rankin County, where... City government approved a contract with a third party to utilize automated license plate recognition technology, it's LPR for short, to de- detect motorists whose vehicles are not insured, yet they're still traveling on the roads. In Mississippi, of course, that's been a law for quite some time, is it not? Since the early 2000s, I believe. Maybe even before that. It, I can't remember when it wasn't a law that you must have at a minimum, I believe, liability insurance on your vehicle. Um, I, I will tell you that it, it so we got lots of feedback on the text line about that yesterday. I did have some conversations with some folks in the know about this. And what I found is kind of what I said yesterday. There's no consensus on the legality of that. There, are, I've gotten conflicting opinions on it. We did find out that the city of Ocean Springs implemented such a program. I believe with the same exact company. Exactly. It's a it's a third party. It's a. By the way, this company provides these services nationwide. This is a. Significant company. It's just not a small outfit here that only services Mississippi, I believe, based in Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And so apparently the Attorney General has uh, ruled in an opinion some time ago that use of LPR to identify vehicles that do not have insurance does not conflict with the law and the statute and the code you recited for us yesterday. Because we weren't sure, honestly. I mean, I wasn't, based on that. So I I will tell you, I've talked to a member of the legislature, I'm not going to disclose who it is, it's not important at this point, that was familiar with this legislation and involved in it. And... When I and was unaware of of pearl, honestly, it, we weren't honestly. I mean, right? I I only found one news report on this, on pearl, yeah. And it, I believe, it only happened Friday. It went into it was approved. yeah, it went into effect December one. Okay, so kind of done under the radar, I guess. No pun intended there. Um, but nonetheless, this member of the legislature said, "Well, the intent was." To prohibit the use of L P R for such, but apparently that's not the case. Now you would certainly think that if you ever been to a uh, let me start with this, you ever been to a city council meeting or any government uh, board style meeting? Board being the key word there. Yeah. You're going to be bored. P-O-R-E-D <laughs> as opposed to B-O-A-R-D. What are those called? Is that a is that a homonym? Is that right? What I think is, so. I think that's what's called. I don't remember that from third grade. <laughs> I haven't used that in a while. Um, yeah, homonym. Okay, I know what a synonym is and an antonym. That would be a homonym. Sound the same, totally different meaning. Okay, but nonetheless, if you've ever been attended one of these meetings, whether it's supervisors, city mayor and council, board of aldermen, it really doesn't matter. Almost any public sector board-type meeting, you know what you're going to have there? Lawyers, at least a lawyer, for advice, to guide, to counsel, the board, to ensure, first of all, that the board is in compliance with uh, rules of order, state law of all laws federal law and no every lawyer doesn't walk into the room knowing every possible conflict impossible but they they can research that's what they're good at all those books that the rest of us struggle reading all the legalese that's what they do nonetheless i i'm i'm on a number of boards the public sector for example and yeah you, there's going to be a lawyer there, and they're going to be inquired upon. Hey, can we do this? You would think that if a city adopts such an ordinance that the lawyer is given them the green light and said, and again, I, I haven't viewed video of their meetings, if there is such. I haven't read the minutes. I, I'm just speculating here.
3: Well, there's an AG's opinion. I imagine the city attorney would be aware of the AG's opinion and would be basing it on that.
1: So, what what I have read is that the attorney general's opinion says the police department or any law enforcement agency. Could use LPRs for enforcement of traffic violations as long as the cameras are not used in conjunction with a traffic control signal, radar speed detection equipment, or both. So that this wouldn't be the case, right? You wouldn't be using traffic signal infrastructure assets. So the question and I'm not is, a
3: lawyer, but that feels like a pretty narrow
1: opinion of a pretty broad law. I, I would agree with you. And so I, I don't know, honestly. But this is AG opinion. So I guess there's two, two issues. One is, is it legal in the state of Mississippi? It certainly appears that it is, I would say, based on this opinion, based on the fact that cities are adopting it, based on the fact that Lawyers are approving it, giving them the green light to do so. But then there's the other question is, is this something that is, uh, I guess, in conflict with the legislative intent of the bills that prohibit use of LPR? Or the law that prohibits the use of LPR to issue speeding tickets or tickets for violating traffic signals? little, little different situation. We got more on that. One of the all-time great Chicago tunes, twenty-five or six to four, pumping us out here, coming back in the Element Well Studio.
0: Attention, adoring fans! It's time for midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: video also
3: (laughs) and if you want to feel old i'm only about a week older than this song
1: (laughs) i feel old (laughs) (laughs) oh man great drums in that by the way oh yeah really appreciate that so we were talking about this uh, use of license plate recognition technology to identify vehicles which are not insured So, again, I've had some conversations about this. I I admit yesterday I got blindsided by that, and I'm not that familiar with uh, the concern. I wasn't aware that Pearl, for example, had recently enacted such an ordinance. I wasn't aware. We had some great folks on our text line who were very savvy that told us about the lawsuit in Ocean Springs, Class action, I've done some digging on that, and uh, it's it's uh, an interesting topic, and again, I spoke to a legislator about it as well. I think this is going to get some attention in the next session. I really do. Now, what I have found out is that Mississippi has one of the highest uninsured rates in the country, Sadly not only are we among the highest, I think fourth highest in the country with respect to health insurance, we also rank rank very high in terms of uninsured motorists, about 29%. I was shocked. Some law enforcement officials believe that's as high as 35%. So it's a lot. And... It's fair to say that those without insurance that are involved in an accident triggering the other or others involved if they have insurance, which also includes uninsured motorist coverage, which is fairly inexpensive, honestly. The liability, which is the main component of Uh, Automobile insurance, that's the most expensive aspect. And that's what the state of Mississippi requires. You're not required to have uninsured motorists. You are required to have, at a minimum, liability coverage. Uh, But I think it's fair to say that when insurance companies are having to, to pay claims on uninsured motorists because... The other vehicle or vehicles involved in an accident that caused the accident don't have coverage. That costs us all, honestly. I was involved in one. I, heck, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that wasn't. This was 20 years ago. I got rear ended uh, by a high school kid en route to school. And that individual did not have insurance, and so my uninsured motorist coverage uh, paid for it. Of course, it's fairly high deductible, um, and you know you can't you can't really pursue the other party. They typically don't have any assets to even go after, but that that's common. So it's just a question at first: Is this legal? And there seem to be conflicting reports. You know, best I can tell, it is. LPR technology has been in use in the state for quite some time and across the country. Um, I remember just even in my own experience in the IT world, we were the first to bring ruggedized laptops. It's common today. You see in police cruisers, they've all got onboard laptops. But 20-something years ago, that was – Pretty revolutionary, but in uh, right, it was Panasonic was the original makers of ruggedized laptops. They they built them for the military, and they had to meet the test. This was the the specifications issued by the Department of Defense. They had to to meet the, a durability test which was that an M1 tank could roll over it, and it would still function after the tank rolled over it. So it was what we call military specifications, military grade. And then as the Internet and even private networks operated by municipalities began to proliferate, law enforcement saw the value of having those machines on board. They're incredibly valuable because prior to that, It was all radio communications. You'd have to talk to somebody who was sitting at a computer to get information about, let's say, a vehicle or a motorist, et cetera, such as outstanding warrants. That's a big thing they look for. Well, I remember in the early days of installing LPR equipment, which was, by the way, mounted on the top of the vehicle, the cruisers would drive through parking lots using the LPR to identify the location of folks that had outstanding warrants that had just um, no showed essentially that that was kind of the original purpose and then as the camera technology got more uh, more sophisticated more powerful then you end up as the law says, which prohibits with uh, inter- integrating cameras with LPR and and radar speed detectors. So you know, I have mixed feelings. Here's what I mean by that: my concern is, as I think a lot of people would share, is that government gets information and then uses it against us. That's a concern very valid and legitimate concern it's it's a shame that we have to be concerned about that and we've seen more examples of that if we not the weaponization of government agencies and even law enforcement since joe biden has been president now i know a lot of people are, are going to say well you only say that because you're you lean right you're republican etc but it's just truth we've seen recent reports have you seen this rhino that the fbi how they were targeting catholics i mean that that's been a story but there's been additional information divulged about that i mean it's it's pretty sad it's it's frightening honestly consider them if i can find their exact statement but they they consider uh, those who who practice catholicism more likely to be white supremacists, and therefore they got to keep an eye on them to go engage in some sort of racial discrimination, hate crimes. <laughs> That's crazy. What on what basis? Is it maybe because of their more outspoken, staunch position on abortion, being pro-life? Really, don't know. I couldn't find any. Anything to evidence on it, but they call it. They consider them radical, radical Catholics. Even question a priest and a, choir, and a choir director, thinking they might be apt to engage in terrorism. Yeah, that's that's a legitimate concern. I totally agree. I did find out that insurance companies, because we had this, this came up yesterday. Automobile insurance companies are required to supply information to government for the use of law uh, by law enforcement. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, it's to the Department of Revenue and there's one other agency. But they, they do provide roles of who has insurance. And then they also provide what are called add changes and deletes, ACDs. Here's what happens. You get a ticket for not having insurance, you've got a certain date assigned like all tickets are for, for a court date, you go buy insurance, but between then, the, the issuance of the ticket and your court date, you present that to the judge, they let you off. I hear, I hear that anecdotally, that that happens. But unfortunately, what we're finding out is a few months later, they just drop the coverage. They buy six-month coverage and just drop it. They just kind of get through six months, and that's how we end up with this high percent of the population being uninsured. More on this when we come back. Aerosmith. It's a good one there. We're in the Element Well studio.
0: Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Once again at 11.05, it's Senator Chad McMahon at 1205. It's Gordon Fellows. So the uh, talking about this FBI thing, House lawmakers, uh, the there's a panel that is in the House that is examining investigating the weaponization of government. And they've conducted a series of interviews. An undercover agent. That looked into the FBI's targeting of traditional Catholics says that the FBI, quote, singled out Americans who were pro life, pro family, and support the biological basis for sex and gender distinction as potential terrorists. Oh yeah, well that's logical conclusion. It's just incredible. Oh, gosh. If the Coast lawsuit is successful and they are unlawful and they are splitting the tickets with the city, will the city be liable for restitutions, too? Who knows? That's Thomas and Greenwood. Thomas, that's impossible to predict the outcome of a lawsuit. Anything, we would say there is one, uh, in fact, that is targeting the private company that serves as the contractor to municipalities – to identify vehicles that are uninsured, and then they, that is true. There's a a uh, revenue sharing arrangement. It does still require a sworn officer to issue the ticket. At least the the sta- uh, cities that have have uh, enacted this. That is the process. So we'll see where all that goes. It's uh, really going to be interesting. I work for a major repossession company. We have cameras on our truck and scan tags that are kept in a database, and they will let us know if they are out for repossession. LPR is a nationwide company and has a huge database. I wonder what else LPR will use these scans for. So, yeah, so just uh, appreciate you sending that. It's on the C Spire text line from the 662. LPR is a technology. They're... There are companies that produce the technology, then there are companies and law enforcement agencies that use the technology, just to just to kind of clarify. It is, it's it's ubiquitous. It's been around for some time. Again, I I remember in the technology industry when it came onto the scene, and law enforcement agencies across the country were uh, adopting, I mean, gobbling it up, installing it all over the place, no doubt about it. It's, it's effective tools that law enforcement use but i i can see how that would be valuable in repossession i mean something else that's similar to that right now if you think about it's the use of drones law enforcement it's unbelievable the applications and the use cases for drones and drone technology Uh, everything from tracking down bad guys to locating folks who are lost assets that are lost i mean there's just a number of applications. We're just scratching the surface. So you think about drone technology, GPS, uh, LPR, uh, very high-powered video surveillance attached to, installed on the drones, and that then connected to uh, AI databases and and AI scanning systems, uh, those powerful combination you think about all those various technologies. So, I guess you know where I stand on this is I, I want law enforcement to have access to technology to do their job, to enforce the law, and to identify wrongdoing, and to help prosecute crime, find criminals. Facial recognition, AI, I mentioned use in virtually every law enforcement agency, has been for a while, and I certainly understand that people are uncomfortable with that, but gosh, if you're a victim of a crime, and you want to bring justice to those who committed it, if it's, the difference is human beings scanning video with their human eyes against gazillions of photos or other or images of perpetrators that they have on file versus using machines to do that at a very rapid rate which cost a whole lot less money and is way more effective it seemed like the latter would make sense however i i have concerns about improperly using that information. I think that's a valid concern because government has given us a reason not to trust them in so many situations. You'd like to think that law enforcement would not be among them, but we have learned that that's not the case. So there's a fine line here. Uh, There's no doubt about it a fine line and what about if that technology is used to protect and keep safe law enforcement officers there's value in that as well so it's, it's a tough one it's time for a break top of the hour means fox news super talk news and when we return it's senator chad mcmahon from district six stay with us and now and now Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio, second day of the first week of December. We welcome to the program now Mississippi State Senator Chad McMahon. He represents District 6, serves as the chair of local and private Senate committee and vice chair of business and financial institutions over there in the Senate. Of course, we don't know where that's going in the next uh, term, but welcome to the program, Senator Chad McMahon.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and to all Mississippi. Absolutely. Appreciate
1: you coming on. So uh, we wanted to get you on to talk about what is on the radar with respect to legislative priorities as we're uh, getting close to a new legislative session. In, in fact, we're inside a month now until uh, we convened. We've got uh, a returning lieutenant governor, going to have a new speaker of the House, a returning uh, governor. Uh, I think mostly the same faces in both uh, chambers will be around. What uh, What are you expecting? What are you going to be working on?
2: Well, what's important to the district that I represent is health care, health uh, as you know, the largest rural hospital in America in the United States is in Tupelo, Mississippi. So, um, there's a lot of healthcare professionals in this area. A lot of our economy hinges around healthcare and what's taking place in the healthcare industry. That's a priority for me. Uh, as well as there are some local and private issues before each of my, uh, the cities that I represent that we want to see some, uh, some legislation and some projects brought forward. Okay. So I'm not working on a lot of general. I'm not working on a lot of general infram, uh, general bills uh, at this time, but I'm working on things that are important to the people and the residents of the sixth district.
1: Senator, with respect to health care, uh, do you have some uh, specific measures you're thinking about uh, introducing? Or have you talked to other members of the Senate that uh, have some plans as well? What What are you thinking there?
2: Well, I think that the season is right for some health care reform in this state. I think it needs to take place. We need three different approaches to health care reform. One of those needs to be we need to give the people of Mississippi the opportunity to look at what the possibility of Medicaid expansion might look like for working Mississippians. I think we need some insurance reform. Uh, insurance companies need to pay the providers in a timely manner. And if there's a dispute on an invoice, they can partial pay. And then decide later about the, the the balance of those invoices. I think we also need some pricing reform. When you go into a healthcare facility, you ought to, there ought to be a menu printed, uh, of some type of cafeteria menu, so people know what uh, procedures will cost them and their families, and so that they can make good financial decisions for their family. And I understand those price guidance. It's just a price guidance, and it's going to change annually. But I think that we need overall. Uh, we need to modernize our health care system in Mississippi.
1: Okay, and, and, of course, the price transparency issue, as you're well aware, is something that has been discussed extensively at the federal level, and there were some reforms implemented. It, it, I think it probably falls short of, of what you're talking about, but that is something that has been discussed quite a bit. It is a source of frustration for people. You, you, If you work with your primary care doctor and it, you, you have some sort of of ailment that requires you to have uh, a surgical procedure, for example, you call the hospital that's going to be doing that, they can't tell you what it's going to cost, honestly. They, they, they don't really know. Um, it's, it's a very complex process
2: that's correct and it was really brought to my attention that um I had an accident had to go get some stitches and i got ready to pay when i when i let, when I got ready to leave i was just going to pay yeah and the and the healthcare facility that I went to said they couldn't take payment that they would have to invoice me yeah. and I was like well how much is it no we, we don't have any idea yeah. so there just needs to be some pricing guidance and there look there are some privately held clinics in the state that do offer a menu or a cafeteria plan of what things cost when you go in into, uh, in, into their offices, but I just think there needs to be more transparency and that we need some type of pricing rate card so that Mississippians and Americans know what something's going to cost. Got gotcha. you.
1: Yeah, now, you mentioned uh, Medicaid expansion. Of course, that has been available uh, for about 10 years now under the Affordable Care Act. In fact, I think 2024 would be the 10-year mark. Mississippi is one of 10 states which has not expanded Medicaid as provided for uh, under the Act, um, and the votes just haven't seemed to been there, and there's there's been really some pushback, obviously, from uh, Governor Reeves. Do you think the attitudes are changing toward that now, Senator?
2: Well, I, what I'm neither for nor against Medicaid expansion, what I'm for is having hearings on it. bring in professionals, bring in Mississippians that have health care, some that don't have health care, bring in professionals from across the state. Let's look at what modernization of of Medicaid would look like. I also want to put in some mechanisms to detect Medicaid fraud and go after individuals and companies that are committing Medicaid fraud. We know there's some Medicaid fraud uh, taking place, but ultimately i'd like to see it and i had a bill last year to put it on the ballot i'd like to see the people of mississippi have a non-binding vote on whether or not the people would like to see medicaid expanded and uh, of course then we would have some clear direction uh we would have some clear direction on what the people of mississippi want and that could be put on the ballot next year if uh, we could get it through the legislature Interesting. but uh, look everybody's for yeah and so i think that, that's two different mechanisms to address it. I do think we need to have hearings and then let's put it on the ballot and give the, and give the people opportunity to vote on it. I think it'll pass overwhelmingly.
1: yeah, I mean some some third party polls uh, by private organizations indicate the same that it um, I mean you, you get virtually all Democrats and uh, a, a good portion of Republicans that typically the poll results are in the sixty percent for it
2: uh in up, upper 60 well gerard i don't think it's a, I, no, look I, I don't want to political size health care okay yeah. everybody's going to access the health care system at some time in their life and it's not a democrat or republican or an independent issue it's modernizing the system to perform best for all mississippians that's what i'm for And I don't want to do what's good for the Republican Party or what's good for a Democrat Party or good for independents or for another party. I want to do what's right for the people of Mississippi and give them a voice in it. And let's look at what modernization of the health care system would look like. And it's not it's not a one solution fix. I think you've got to bring insurance companies to the table. We need price transparency and we need Medicaid modernization. Okay.
1: gotcha. Uh, what do you think about reinstatement of the citizen ballot initiative?
2: I'm for that. I, I want to have a, um, a ballot initiative that's fair, uh, that you know, so the people of Mississippi have a voice.
1: Okay. You, uh, you're well aware the last couple of sessions we've been unable to reach a, a consensus uh, between the houses to get a bill to the governor's desk. Uh, largely the dispute there is on the number of signatures required to, to validate a measure. Correct. So do you, do you think that uh, there's an appetite to perhaps meet in the middle on that?
2: I'm for an initiative. I'm for restoring the initiative. Uh, I'm going to vote for the initiative once I see a bill. And okay. I think the people of Mississippi need a voice. I, I, I would like to see it to be statutory and not something that goes in the Constitution. But I'll have to see what's before me so before I can vote on it. But okay. I do support the initiative for Mississippians.
1: Something that we've talked a lot about on the program here, Senator, is the public employees retirement system. I, I wrote a fairly extensive article on it about a month ago. Not sure if you happen to catch that. It's published on the Supertalk site. Saw it. I think it's something has got to be
2: addressed. What do you think is going to happen there? You know, the PERS board is an elected board. I think we need to have a hearing, and they, they need to come before a Senate hearing. Uh, I serve on the peer committee. This is something that's important to me. It's important to the peer committee. But I think we need to have some open hearings about where we are on the public employees' retirement system. And that those elected officials on that board that represent the Mississippi employees and the retirees, we need to hear from them and hear what their plan is to make PERS solvent. Got gotcha. you. Uh,
1: the governor seems to indicate that elimination of the income tax is his top priority. you think that's going to get some attention again?
2: I would like to eliminate the income tax, but I'm not willing to eliminate the income tax and replace it with a property tax or a higher sales tax. So if we can find a way to make it palatable, or we can where we're 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 really going to cut taxes and not transfer it, then I'm for that. But I do want to find a way to eliminate the income tax. And for me, it's about being competitive with the surrounding states. Gotcha. We want to attract we want to attract companies and, and families to Mississippi. It's a Mississippi's a great place to live. We have one of the greatest highway systems in the state, in the country. I think we're ranked uh we're ranked in the top twenty for highway systems. We have good weather pretty much year round. Property taxes are low here for the most part. The proper the tax burden in Mississippi is fairly low on individuals. We have a lot to offer. We have uh, some of the most competitive real estate prices in the country. We've got some of the best Division One schools we, in the we entire gotta go, country. Senator, we want to attract people. I hear you. To- Appreciate
1: okay. it. Thank you a lot, Sander. We'll talk to you soon. Thank
0: And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. <laughs> about- On to the real part. Dynamite. On Super Talk Mississippi. People try to put us down. Generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. Things ain't doin' look awful. Talking about my generation. We'll die before we get old. Talking about my generation. my generation. My generation, baby. Why don't you all fade away? Dig what we all s- s- say I'm not I'm not trying to cause a
3: big s-
1: s- Well, I want to see I want to see the exploding guitar at the end of that one. The who. <laughs> my generation. Well, appreciate uh, Senator Chad McMahon for uh, joining us and sharing his thoughts on the upcoming legislative session. It's going to be a wild and woolly one, and I think. Uh, should really be something. Going to have a lot of fun with that. Gordon Fellows will join us at 1205. He, of course, is the president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. thought we'd get him on to talk about a federal rule that uh, is scheduled to go into effect. That's part of the Dodd-Frank Banking overhaul passed uh, in the wake of the banking meltdown in 2008. Bonnie Frank, Chris Dodd, the co-authors of that legislation over there in the U.S. Senate. And so what that legislation would do, or the rule really would do, con- coming from the consumer Financial Protection Bureau, it would require financial institutions to collect lots of personal data about loan applicants and furnish that, supply that to uh, the U.S. government so they can make sure you're not discriminating when you're issuing loans. That's not really what they want. What they want is equity. They just want to their loan portfolio to align with this nice, tidy, little, neat pie chart, if you will, of who they loan money to based on all sorts of personal, physical attributes that have zero to do with your credit worthiness. Can't do that. So um, we're going to talk to Gordon about that at 1205. When the initiative is passed, the voters get to make a choice on term limits. I would think that would be a top priority on the C Spire tax line. I don't know that there's ever been legislation offered to do so. And I'm not sure, Rhino, if at the state level that the terms for elected officials are specified in the Constitution or in statute. Not sure. Mm-hmm. I know you'll see what you can find on that. Uh, so I, I don't know how that would fare, honestly. The the term limit issue is an interesting one. And then the question is, I guess, how do you make that permanent? If it's in the Constitution, it could only be unwound with... Another go at it at the ballot for the people. Our Constitution can only be amended uh, via statewide vote. Amendments can be referred to the ballot uh, by the legislature through a resolution, but then the people have to ratify it, vote on it. So that would be interesting. Very first ballot initiative brought to voters in the previous process was for term limits, says Ben from Madison. But what happened to it, Ben? Did it – I don't remember that ever getting to the ballot. Failed by a large margin. Would have established term limits for – okay, for every elected. When was that, Ben? I, I just don't recall that.
3: 2010, 2011, I want to say. Yeah, a long time ago. Okay.
1: I see. Every elected position in state. So not just, I guess, for members in the 90s. Ni- he says in the 90s for members of the legislature. That would be more likely why I can't remember it, if it was in the 90s. Interesting. 96, I believe, says Ben. Thanks, Ben. We'll see what we can find out about that. Chad McMahon has the answer to Medicaid. It's all about the people, but I know y'all don't like that answer because Tate's against it on the ceasefire tax line. Well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's ever said anything like that. I, um, it has nothing to do with, uh, the governor's that's, That person on. lives
3: in la la land and believes whatever they want to believe
1: while being a blithering idiot all at the same time. <laughs> ben says it was the Fordyce administration. That, okay. That would I been... want to say there's been
3: three or four different initiatives and none of them really got any traction. Okay. I know there was one teed up. To gather signatures, I think it was at that stage when the whole thing got struck down. That I can see. I absolutely
1: can see that. But I, I don't remember one on the ballot in 2010, honestly. Uh, menu pricing, yes. I just got some bills, this is on the ceasefire text line, that I was not expecting, and I asked before the procedure, double the price I was told. Did you get that in writing? You may have, you know, some legal basis to negotiate there if you've got some official binding offer, quote, something to think about. But I, I hear you. It's, it is frustrating. And a lot of that's just because of the nature of the industry where services are paid for by third parties. Insurance. And it's it's just difficult, and you have so many other parties involved. If you think about it, in um, say a hospital, be it inpatient or outpatient procedure, the um, often the the physicians involved in the various services don't work for the hospital, and they don't always know. It's it's complicated. I, I'm not saying it couldn't be. You'd have to automate it. That it couldn't be automated. Uh, but it's a it's one of the reasons it's a difficult undertaking is because the utopia that was supposed to be electronic health records, where all the the uh, participants in the healthcare industry would would contribute their data and integrate the idea was your your chart, if you will, is mobile and is accessible anywhere. That never really materialized, and and that was. Thought to be valuable just in dispensing of care. If your chart were available, perhaps you're unconscious, as an example, and and uh, your you know, physicians are trying to treat you, healthcare professionals that treat you, if they had access to your information, that really never materialized uh, because they don't want to exchange information, honestly. So this idea of having this giant database of health information, of course, when you do that. It's incredibly, incredibly vulnerable to penetration and uh, malicious attack from a cybersecurity perspective. That's always a concern, which is a valid concern, certainly. But I, but it is frustrating. I agree. Well, I see my daughter's an agent. This is from Tim and McGee. We were just talking about that, uh, again, I agree with him that when – this technology used by law enforcement or any government, when it gets abused and it, and it's turned against you, weaponized against you, uh, that's a concern. It's about a concern. But there's a fine line there. If that technology can be used effectively by law enforcement to enforce the law, to protect law enforcement officers, to protect citizens, to protect property, Well, then I think we should embrace it. Uh, And the question is, where do you draw the line? Should we prohibit law enforcement from using computers at all, from using the Internet? Uh, See, it's a tough one. I I agree. Uh, But when it's weaponized against you, it's a problem. And I wish that weren't the case. I wish government would stay in its lane and be of, by, and for the people as opposed to work against it for political gain. And that is what I think we're seeing with this, with certainly in the Biden administration, with the DOJ going after school boards and parents going to school board meetings and expressing their discontent at the actions of school boards and some of the ridiculousness that's going on in the schools that teach their children. And all of a sudden they end up on some Blacklist, if you will. That's a problem. I agree. And that doesn't happen because of technology. That just happened because they showed up at a school board meeting, got on the agenda, and addressed the members of the board with their concerns and grievances. And so Tim just points out, he shares that same concern that folks would abuse them, uh, abuse this technology. I, I totally agree. Four issues have ever met the requirements to make the ballot. Term limits, voter ID, personhood, eminent domain, and medical marijuana. It's actually five. That's from Ben from Madison. Appreciate that, Ben. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming back in the Element Well Studio.
0: With Gerard Gibbert. It is on, on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. That's the great Eric Clapton. Derek and the Dominoes. Layla. That would be one of the greatest guitar riffs of all time, I would say. We are back. we got Gordon Fellows coming on at 12.05. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C Spire text line, of course, 601-879-4395. Speaking of all this surveillance sort of stuff the philadelphia pennsylvania city council just passed a bill on a vote of 13 to 2 that is headed to the mayor the council council uh voted to ban ski masks in public they said that of course a lot of the criminals are shielding their faces from video and just eyeballs. And they're unable to, using the technology again, using video surveillance to identify these criminals, and they know it.
3: I mean, in fairness, the ski mask was the go-to uniform for the bad guy in any movie from the 80s or 90s.
1: Well, especially the ones... It has
3: that, a certain connotation.
1: Yeah, cover your whole head with a just the cutouts for your eyes and your nose and mouth, right? But on the flip side of that,
3: yeah, how does a city like Philadelphia, where it's cold for half
1: the year, even consider banning a way for people to keep their face warm? Well, I agree. Uh, I mean, so you could put a scarf on, I guess, right? That's not a ski mask, technically speaking, but that's not... Uh, that's not the rap of choice by the criminal. It's a $250 fine. If you, if you have on a mask while you're committing some crime, it's a $2,000 fine. Now, one of the two members who voted against it said that, My fear is we're putting legislation on the books for a certain population that won't even realize that this will victimize them until it does. Oh, wow. So this says what they are concerned about is that they cannot solve many murders as well as shootings in the city of Philadelphia because most of these people are wearing ski masks. They can't tell who they are. That's what the Philadelphia Police Department said
3: i don't feel like that's a new problem it just feels like a new answer they've come up with i guess because like i said if you watch any action movie from heck go back to the 70s i think it even started in the 70s yeah the ski mask was the uniform for the bad guys the burglars the terrorists whoever yeah that's that's because it concealed your identity so this is not a new concept this is not like oh The bad guys figured out you could pop the lock on the car door with a tennis ball with a slit cut in it. It's true. It's it's not something new that they've discovered.
1: Uh, A member of the Philadelphia ACLU, of course, chimed in, called the legislation fundamentally unfair. Solomon Worlds, that's the person's name, of the Philadelphia ACLU, said it could further criminalize young people of color. Well, if you're committing a crime, or you have criminal intent...
3: Yeah, I can't go that far. It criminalizes people having heat receptors on their face. Okay. It criminalizes being a human being with warm blood flowing that you need to keep warm.
1: (laughs) I don't know how effective that will be, honestly. They do bring up some... Cases that uh, uh, served as somewhat of an inspiration, if you will, to pass such legislation. They said in September 2022, five masked people shot into a crowd after a junior varsity football game, which killed a 14-year-old. May 23, someone in a ski mask shot and killed a 15-year-old on a public bus. I, I You know...
3: I mean, let's just walk through a hypothetical situation. A criminal who's intent on breaking the law breaks the law by wearing a ski mask, therefore hiding their identity.
1: The police have really not done a whole lot. Yeah, I agree. My concern would be, is this really an effective deterrent? No. And then how in the world... I I mean, so, okay, you capture someone that just happens to randomly have a ski mask on, and they're, they owe you 250 bucks for that. I, I don't know. Moral decay is a bigger concern to me. And what's the city of Philadelphia doing to address the dissolution of the nuclear family, which I think is largely the cause of moral decay in this country, especially among young people? I mean, what's the deal with 14- and 15-year-olds getting killed by other teenagers that that should shake everyone to their core and this is happening regularly in this country where we're, we're failing somewhere along the line and and just not i guess teaching and getting our young people to understand the basic difference between good and bad And two, I say, to a great extent, it's because the left in this country continuously tells them they're oppressed, the system is rigged, they have no chance, you're entitled to this, that, and the other. I think that starts sinking in and affecting them. And and then, of course, we have these uh, various DAs and other justice entities in parts of the country that uh, just won't dispense justice. Just let you out. That's a big problem too. They do it with impunity, so there's no deterrent. Bandana and a ten gallon hat. Okay, says Charles in Madison.
3: <laughs> it's crazy. I hear it's a bandit you. look, or you can just have a black t-shirt that you tie around your head like a ninja mask. Technically, it's not
1: a ski mask. (laughs) Coroner Allen from Aberdeen says COVID masks are still being used in robberies to shield identities, even now when there is no pandemic. I see them as well, Allen. And it seems like, Rhino, all the images we see, video and still photos of the various pro-Hamas protesters, that's like part of their little uniform, their stick, right, to wear a mask, which pretty much tells you they're on the left. Well, it's
3: because the left has convinced themselves that protesting in public is a necessity, but they also want the privacy of their own bedroom in public. Don't you dare take a picture of my face. Don't you dare try to figure out who I am, even though I'm in public, in a public space.
1: Yeah, it's true. The Muslim community, speaking of which, in Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan area, you guys probably know, has uh, a very large community of Muslims. Well, they got together this past Saturday protesting the president for his refusal to call for a ceasefire. And a couple of their leaders have said, we are powerful. I'm reading a quote. We are not powerless as Muslim Americans. We are powerful. We don't only have the money, but we have the actual votes. And they came out and stated they will not support Joe Biden. Now, not for a minute do I believe that means they'll support a Republican nominee in the general election. But I do see them throwing their support behind uh, Cornel West. That's what I think is going to happen. I'm serious. In Michigan... That guy. I know. In Michigan... Is a swing state, as an important state, a pivotal state in the presidential election. It's one that Donald Trump carried in 16 that uh, was instrumental in his victory. That, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, you could argue those are the three that most folks didn't see coming. It was a tiny amount, mind you, but it was enough for him to capture the electoral votes to put him in the White House. So that's not good news. It's another situation, as we've said before, where the Democrats, they they attempt to appease and placate every little sliver of every group that ultimately you end up with conflicts. You just do. It's almost impossible. And this is a case in point. So they come out, for the most part, and show their support for Israel, Although it's not exactly robust, but it, it they do sh- show support. And so you aggravate the pro-Palestinian faction in your party. This is an example of that. Hard to walk that balance beam there. All right, a little doors bump on the side of this segment here. We're coming back. In the Element Well studio, it's Gordon Fellows at 1205, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association.
0: You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk, Mississippi. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, everyone. It is a middays in the Element Well Studio. So did you see this situation at the UN Climate Change Summit, the 28th? A snowstorm comes through (laughs) and uh, grounds the airplanes. Wait, I thought they were fighting global warming, climate change, global warming. Uh, you couldn't plant it any better, and they're over there, of course, talking about. They're talking about uh, ending the use of fossil fuels altogether. And I just want to end it completely. Of course, a lot of the <laughs> the jets that were snowed in at the airport. This is in Munich. Uh, it's connecting. I think, from Munich into, I believe it was in Dubai, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) They were private jets, of course. None other than John Kerry, who jets around the planet, scorning us all for the use of fossil fuels and preaching to us, lecturing us about how we have to adjust our lifestyles. Uh, It's such a shame. His private jet got (laughs) stuck in Munich, in a snowstorm, you couldn't write the script any better, could you? Now, in Dubai, in the, in the Emirates there, it was, in the, it was toasty, of course, in the 80s, in the desert, but not in Munich. God does have a sense of humor, does he not? <laughs> Just look at the platypus. <laughs> exactly. A venomous mammal that lays eggs. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, that was interesting, I thought. Spotify and some economic news. They are going to lay off 17% of their staff. That's the third round of cuts this year. Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, he's issued a rather dire prediction for the economy next year. um, Well, the markets, more specifically. He believes that folks are running out of the helicopter money, that inflation, though, has moderated. It's still consuming a larger portion of take-home pay. It's something the Biden administration doesn't get. Okay. Yeah, it went up a bunch, and it started leveled off, but our wages still haven't caught up, so we're upside down. (laughs) We're, We're in the red, relatively speaking. And he thinks that's going to take its toll on corporate profits. Now that's that's going to really upset Bernie Sanders because and Robert Wright because they won't be able to talk about record profits anymore. That's how that's going to work out. Something else is going on we'll get to later on in the program. We're getting close to a break, and then Gordon Fellows at 12.05. But you got Donald Trump. And Ron DeSantis have both, DeSantis the latest, Trump over the weekend, uh, announcing their desire to repeal and replace Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Robert Reich says every single American needs to know that Trump has, again, promised to repeal the Affordable Care Act if he's elected. This would rip health care away from millions. Please help spread the this far and wide, says Robert Wright. We'll dig into that in a bit. The uh, This situation with the snow, I, it's, I just find that so hypocritical, honestly. All these people flying in on their private jets that are stuck in snow as they're headed to a conference to talk about the planet warming. Bizarre. Totally bizarre.
3: All while ignoring the elephant in the room that is China.
1: That is absolutely true. That is completely and totally true. DeSantis says he would pass a bill to supersede his words. Obamacare. Interesting. You know, in the case of both of these candidates for president, they don't offer much in the way of details. Just going to replace it. I've researched it. Can't find any statements they've made, any written proposals, nothing. Just just political hype more than anything else. Honestly, I think that could be effectively used against those candidates in a general election by uh, the Democrats. I do. I'll explain that later on in the program. They're pretty crafty with that kind of stuff. Time for a break here, folks. It's noon. Noon, middle of the day here on middays. We've got Fox News, Super Talk News, next, and then Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. We're gonna talk about this new Dot Frank rule. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are at hour three of the program, the afternoon portion. We welcome now Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. Hey, Gordon, good to see you. Mr. Art, good to see you. Thank you for having me. You bet. So I've been talking a little bit about this this rule that's scheduled to go into effect, issued by the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Part of Dodd-Frank, the law passed in the uh, in the wake of the banking crisis of 08, that would require financial institutions to collect lots of personal data about their customers' loan applicants specifically, and uh, I believe the House has now, the U.S. House, has in fact passed a bill, a measure that would repeal that, not sure that it's going to get Passed in the Senate, or what the status is? I believe the president, correct me if I'm wrong here, Gordon, has said I'm going to veto this deal. I get that
4: right? Where right. are we? No, yeah, you, yeah, you're exactly right. So, and, and an important distinction here: Congress has um, a process called the Congressional Review Act process, where they can promulgate a resolution uh, to undo or nullify a rule, which is different than you know, striking the statute that created the rule. OK, so two different processes to undo a rule. In this case, we're talking about a Congressional Review Act resolution that nullifies the CFPB's 1071 rule. It does not repeal 1071. So there there would still be a rule at some point. Gotcha. Right? So two different processes. <laughs> but, but where we are, right, is that is the Senate passed it. Uh, in October, okay, um, and they passed it in the middle of when when the House was electing a new speaker. So it didn't get a lot of attention because all the political news was uh, around the new speaker. Um, and then um, the Senate passed it in October. The House passed it last Friday, right? Which was also the day they expelled Representative Santos. So again, that was the political news of the day, yeah. right? The expulsion, not yeah. the fact that they passed this. This regulation or this resolution to undo a regulation. So now it's you know it's it's at the White House, um, President. You know, I guess one of the unfortunate things, sort of about Dodd Frank is it, it's it was a, a overly partisan sort of thing, right? When it passed, it was it was very uh, a very big piece of the Obama administration. It's kind of a legacy piece, and so you know I don't think the Biden White House wants to uh, undo anything that's part of uh, President Obama's legacy, and so so. Even though, like Joe Biden's favor, favorability rating with small business owners is down to like thirty percent, and it's yeah. been as high as 40, 45, you know he's way down small business owners, um, and, and you would think that would incentivize him to, to pass, to sign this resolution into law and undo the rule. I don't think he's going to. I think it's it's going to be uh, vetoed, and and then you know, the rules going to go into effect, and so. Um there's a chance that it gets it gets uh it gets litigated. There's actually um a court case right now um related to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh that the Supreme Court heard oral arguments on earlier this year. Uh and uh, because that case is pending, a couple federal judges, uh, one in Texas and one in Kentucky, have both stayed the rule until that other case gets to, gets worked out. Um you know, but at some point it's likely that the 1071 small business data collection rule will will go into effect. And so I think it's really important for um, uh, Mississippi small business owners to recognize when your bank starts asking you questions that you're not used to, um, it's not because they're asking because they want to know. It's they're asking because they have to. Um, And uh, this process is probably going to slow down the loan approval process, right? Um, Traditionally, if you're a a longtime customer of a bank, you might have a sort of standing agreement that if you need, if you're a retailer, for instance, and you need some credit to, to buy some new inventory, um, you might just be able to make the phone call and sort of say, Hey, can we turn on the line of credit? I need to go on a buying trip. And um, or if you're a contractor uh and, and you've got a job and all your cash is tied up in materials for that job and your saw breaks or some of your equipment breaks, and you may need to borrow a little bit of money to go Buy some new equipment to complete the job, right? So those type of decisions traditionally have been really fast, right? The, the the bank with a with an existing customer can make that determination almost immediately, um, and this this data collection process now it, it's going to slow that process down. So that's really sort of my message to small business owners and the folks that work for small businesses. The process is going to change when this rule goes into effect you know we don't know when that will be because there's this litigation because there's this legislation um but even if the president signed the resolution into law and nullified the rule as it exists the statute would still be there and eventually a rule another rule version of the rule would be promulgated. Does that make sense?
1: No, it does. And and I just want to say, I appreciate you you squaring away the chronology there. I had it backwards. I wasn't sure. But uh, I I did see that uh, they passed the House. I wasn't aware it had already passed the Senate. So thank you for uh, getting that information out there, but yeah, I, I still believe the president and in all indications from the Biden administration are that yeah, we're going to veto this thing. And I think largely due to the, the the political element, as you point out. And so here's a question, Gordon was was this rule? Um, did it just kind of stem from the overall? I guess, theme of Dodd-Frank, or was this specific language in Dodd-Frank that then the CFPB said, okay, based on what they kind of are looking to do here, we got to put this rule in place? Because that happens a lot, as you know.
4: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, well, two things, uh, just for, for, um, a point on the Senate vote. It was actually pretty bipartisan, right? Yeah. yeah um, saw that. five, five Democrats voted with the uh, Republicans. So, um, you don't always see, I mean, five, five is a tenth of the, the Senate Democratic caucus, right? So it was a, it was a pretty bipartisan vote in the Senate, which was, uh, a good, good thing, I think. But, um, yes. Yeah, so to your exact question, um, yeah, this, this rule was, was part of Dodd-Frank. It was section, 1,071 of Dodd-Frank, three pages of legislative text, and and that three pages of text laid out um, a rule that requires lenders to collect 13 different data points. Um, Now, that three pages of text and 13 data points turned into 890 pages of regulation, and uh, those 13 data points turned into, with subpoints, about 80 points of data. Right. And so one of the big arguments has been, you know, okay, well, the rule is here. Right. And and it's squared and it's 13 things. Our arguments were and you should just keep it to those 13 things and don't expand it beyond what Congress's intent is. And so the sort of the argument of congressional intent is why Congress passed this resolution. Right. To undo the rule, because it expanded well beyond the 13 points that that Congress originally sort of required in the statute. Um, So, you know, it is it's an it's an interesting example of a regulatory overreach beyond
1: statutory intent. And so when you look at, at the, the data points obviously that they're they're seeking to collect here who is it that would own this data is it the CFPB themselves the bank yeah. regulators or Yeah
4: yeah the CFPB, right, and I guess it's the CFPB uh, this is an acronym for Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That is a new agency that was set up by Dodd-Frank. Right. right. That did not exist prior to Dodd-Frank. Right. Uh, sort of Elizabeth Warren's brainchild. Yep. Um, and um, they, one of the, we've asked for years as this rule has been talked about, what are you going to do with the data? How are you going to report right. the data? Right. Um, because we're really worried about if you, you know, part of the data is in NAICS code. Right. And part of the data is is a census track. And so if you if the bank's got to report that you know the NAICS code in this census track, and there's only one, right? Of of whatever that business is in that census track, it's gonna be really easy to figure out yeah. the finances around <laughs> that business. Right. And so we we've said for years you've got a real privacy problem with this data. Uh and and the Bureau sort of told us this fall in, in a meeting we had in DC, yeah, we don't really know how we're gonna present it yet. We have to collect the data before we can determine how we're going to share the data. And that is, I mean, it, it, it's very troubling to me. You know, like like you should start with the in mind when you're when you're writing a, a big rule like this.
1: Well more importantly, I mean what's the underlying purpose? It it, it was, it's pretty clear to me, it's to come back on these banks and say, well you're not loaning enough money to this particular demographic that your your portfolio is too skewed to a particular demographic. And so you just have to toss out just common credit-worthy standards and say, no, you just got to go loan money, more money to people that fit into this demographic that's missing in your loan portfolio. That's a recipe for disaster. Right.
4: So you know, I, the the intent of ensuring there's credit availability to all demographics, we think is a good thing. But the execution of this rule is so much bigger than it had to be to, to do that, right? Like we're in the business of making loans, right? Like so, the banks want to make loans; they don't want to walk away from loans. I, and I hear the bumper music, yeah. so I, I know better. Stop.
1: Yeah. Well, we we if you got time, we come back and continue this discussion. And that I want I wanted to also dig into uh, just your overall outlook on the economy, Jamie Diamond. Hadn't given us too rosy an outlook here in the last couple of days. Wanted to get your thoughts on it and see how it's going in Mississippi. Can you hang with us?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
1: Yep, we got Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association, on midday. Stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbet. Come on, let's get on with the show on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studio. Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association, our uh, guest. So, Gordon, we were just talking about uh, this possible new new rule, and again, my my concern is, uh, what's the purpose? Why is why is that? It's this information, this demographic, personal um, profile sort of information. I, I thought we were supposed to be non-discriminatory, so to speak, with respect to lending practices, banking practices. This is almost calling attention to it at a minimum, but more importantly, I just get concerned that uh, government steps in with this data and starts going after the banking industry in some way asserting that they're, they're racist or discriminating in their in their lending practices where in fact that that may not be the case perhaps the applicant just didn't meet the standards uh, for a loan
4: yeah you know there are a whole lot of laws around what's called fair lending right to ensure that everybody has fair access to credit and um and um we 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 recognize how important those are and and our members do everything they can to comply with all of those you know the uh, I, I hear everything you're saying on that, and, and I worry about that, too. I mean, the fact of the matter on this, right, is that Section 1071 is part of the statute of Dodd-Frank, and so they've got to do something, Yeah, uh, right? But eventually, some agency, uh, the, the Bureau is going to write, or the CFPB is going to write the rule, right? The, so, you know, my real concern isn't, I mean, I, I don't think there's a realistic opportunity for Dodd-Frank to be amended, right? right. And so my real concern here is is that, you know, the, the rule is out there, did, did the Bureau stay within the bounds of, of what their regulatory authority is and the way right. they wrote this rule? Okay. Right? right. And so, um, otherwise we got to live with it, right? And, and we'll, we'll find a way to live with it, right? I mean, that's that's what banks do. They, they deal with regulation. Um, uh, but, um, you know, there is going to be an impact on speed of decision making for customers and, and there's going to be an impact on, um, uh, the 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 cost of credit because this is uh it, it's not a cheap rule to comply with and you've got to gather all this data, right? That you're talking about either hiring people or buying new software and so yeah, there are gonna be, you know, real world cost for this and you know the, the Bureau has defined a small business for the purposes of this rule as a, as a business that has five million 5 million in income annually. Right, that's a that's that's a pretty high bar in Mississippi. Right, that's that's a little bigger than what I think about as a small business. So if you, when you think of a five million dollar business in Mississippi, that's like, according to NDA, one hundred and sixteen thousand businesses that employ nine hundred plus thousand people. We got a population of around three million total. That's not working age, probably. That's total, and you got a, almost a third of them that 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 work for a business that this this rule is going to apply to, right? And so. When, when when you when those businesses need a quick credit decision, right, like when they need uh, a fast tailored for them, uh that that's gonna get a lot harder now under this rule. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right to be concerned about it. And and I I guess I guess my message to business owners and folks that work for small businesses, start talking to your banker now about it because you know it, it's gonna change the it's gonna change the mechanics of, of how credit is extended.
1: Well, you know, as the, the business person in me always thinks, okay, if if I'm going to collect more data, if I'm going to impose new rules, procedures, processes uh, on my staff in my business, which is essentially what the government's doing to this industry, w- what am I getting in return for that? What's the what's the benefit? There got, there needs to be some benefit to that cost. Because there's definitely a cost, as you point out, and there's a there's there's a real monetary cost, and then there's of course just a convenience cost and delays which mm-hmm. could cause downstream problems for uh for the borrower, as you well know. Sometimes these things mm-hmm. happen and they're kind of in a hurry. And having that relationship with yeah. your bank and being able to make those transactions occur Man, it's invaluable. I've personally been through that in my business career, and and I, so I just wonder, right. what's the benefit here? And I, I haven't seen any statements from the CFPB that says, okay, this will fix this problem. This will solve this issue. I, I don't see that.
4: Yeah. Well, and, and, and you're you're right. Right. That that is really my concern in, in the big pictures. What is all this going to do for the small businesses that are critical to the state's economy? It's going to be a real hurdle for for an awful lot of folks. And yeah. so, um, but you know, to to your your question of sort of what's the benefit? Well, you know, Congress put it in the statute, right? So yeah, it, it's there's a, there's a question for Congress in that yeah. too, right? Unfortunately, and so, they don't think you know, like that. Um,
1: <laughs> They just make Listen. laws without thinking about that. Uh, unfortunately, Jamie Dimon, I, I talked about that before we went to break. Uh, of course, he is the uh, CEO of J.P. Morgan. Uh, if it's not the largest bank, it's it's in the top two or three, right, along oh. with Bank of America. Um, and, right. and he he's a person people pay attention to uh, in business, and certainly the banking industry pays attention to him. He's he's a pretty wise fella. And he said that um, uh, we may be looking at uh, a downturn, a significant downturn in the economy next year. He's just warning that folks are running out of a lot of the excess COVID uh, money and, of course, the quantitative easing that uh, the Federal Reserve embarked on during uh, the COVID. He calls that uh, drugs being directly injected into our system. I think there's some truth to that. We're starting to see some slowdown in consumer spending. Certainly, some some choices made by consumers on how they they spend their money that are, are affecting various industries. My question is, what are you hearing in Mississippi, Gordon? I know you've got um, your your uh, your touch on that with your members. What are you hearing from them? Well, a
4: couple things. So. Every quarter, uh, the FDIC issues what's called the quarterly bank profile, right? And uh, they sort of roll up all of the, the aggregate data from all the commercial banks in the country and sort of roll it out. Okay. Um, and then you can break it down by state once it rolls out. And that came out last week. And, and our read on that was that Mississippi is in a pretty good position relative to the rest of the country, right? You, nationwide, you've seen bank deposits decline. and Mississippi, bank deposits are still going up. Um, nationwide you've seen um credit metrics in some places i don't want to say deteriorate but you there's some of the you you can tell there's some strain on some of the credit metrics we haven't really seen that here in in the quarterly data yet here in mississippi so Mm -hmm. um you know but when i talk to members you know i think everybody is aware that um you know, twenty twenty-four maybe a year where expenses get strained and you know, so so I hear it in the context of, well, you know, if the Bankers Association holds an event and I send, you know, three people, I may only send one person now, right? For the next couple of months just until mm-hmm. we get a better sense of, of of how the year is gonna play out. That's that's kind of the way I hear it. I don't hear it in terms of credit availability or anything like that. So, so I know, I know, I know that's on our members radar, right. And, and the big question, as you well know, is sort of what's the fed going to do with rates. Are they going to, they're going to keep them at the level they've been at. I, mean, I, I feel like they're done raising, you know, but I mean, we had a, we had a fed governor at one of our events in the fall. Uh, and um, in that event, there was some conversation about, yeah, we may not be done raising. So don't think we are, you know, so, I mean, I, it it's, uh, but we've had a lot more data come out since then, too, and it's, it's certainly all that data sort of points to, you know, um, where things are, you know, maybe things are headed to an okay direction. You know, you hear that term soft landing all the time. Um, one of our members, John Hairston, who's a uh, CEO of Hancock-Whitney Bank, on his uh, his third quarter earnings call, he used the term safe landing. It appears we're headed to a, a safe landing, and I thought that was a pretty good term. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it may not, we don't really know what a soft landing is, but if we can get the plane on the ground without everything breaking, then... Then, then we'll all be okay. I think so. It feels like we're headed that way, but um, you know, it, 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 there's 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 uncertainty to be dealt with still.
1: Yeah, he he also yeah. did Jamie Dimon. Uh, he he pointed to weakness in China. Of course, it, bigger concern yeah. for a bank uh, such as his. It has a lot of customers, of course, that do business in China. Uh, maybe not so impactful in the state of Mississippi, but that you know that as well though that the macro economy, of course, uh, it it kind of influences Mississippi's economy to some extent as well. The good news, I think, I've always felt like uh, this about Mississippi is we don't have any particular industry concentration. We're, we have a fairly diverse economy. Um, Agriculture, you could possibly point to as being somewhat of a, a concentrated industry in our state. But overall, we're not as subject to the really super increases and super decreases, the ebbs and flows, if you will, in the economy.
4: Right, and our banks are really conservative and focused on the long term, right? We don't have a lot of quarter-to-quarter banks. And so, you you know, we got through the 2008 housing crisis. We didn't have a single bank failure in Mississippi. We are one of the few states that can say that, right? Our bankers are very careful about how they uh, make decisions, and I think that helps keep our economy stable,
1: too. Good to talk to you, Gordon. Appreciate your insights there. You have a a great holiday. A Merry Christmas. See you later, man. Thanks. Thank
4: you. Merry Christmas,
1: sir. Thanks for having me. We're coming right back in the Well Studio.
0: We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge
1: news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this.
0: Midday's with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
1: in the Element Well Studio. Lots of companies such as Walmart are ditching the requirement that folks have college degrees to qualify for certain job roles in the company. Walmart is just one of several companies that is making uh, this change. In their hiring practices, and they have a long list of those particular jobs that uh, for which they will no longer require degrees. Numerous positions in IT. I watched this develop in the IT industry for a long time. There's just a lot of folks that are really good with IT: engineers, architects, developers, etc., analysts. They don't happen to have a college degree. They just focused all their energy and effort on perfecting their skills in in that particular discipline. They're really good at it. He said that uh, when you require a college degree, quote, you're dr- dramatically narrowing your talent pool. That's absolutely true. Said they have a big opportunity to hire from within. And they can do that. So that's, uh, I think this is a phenomenon that you're going to continue to see proliferate the corporate landscape. I I really do. There's uh, much more interest in certification, specialized skills, and that doesn't mean less pay. It has nothing to do with that. Now, Presently, it's true that college grads, they earn a good bit more than their peers with only high school degrees, but that's that scenario is changing. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, 52% more. But I, I think that, Well, again, the
3: statistic that's been given for generations now is that over your lifetime, your lifetime earnings will be significantly higher with a four-year degree. Yeah. But that delta between the the two groups of four-year degree and high school diploma or two-year associates has shrunk dramatically and the the price of going to college for a four-year degree has risen. So the the payout of it all is not as good as it was it requires even more delayed gratification to get into that better living that living a little higher on the hog just due to your education
1: yeah i think that i think that's the point the last statement you made is that just relying on your degree or degrees and whatever level you attain To fetch certain level of pay in the market is uh, not a reliable uh, concern anymore. I don't think. I mean,
3: when you look at just just education as a as a as a data point, lawyers have more education than just a four year undergrad degree, and they make, on average, entry level the same or less than programmers, coders, IT people with just a certification. No doubt about it. So you can go to school for eight years, go six figures into debt, or get a certification, and you still wind up at the same or sometimes better pay
1: entry level. It's uh, it, it, it's market dynamics, honestly. The demand exceeds the supply, and companies uh, will pay for those who have achieved those certifications. I, I lived that world for a long time, and um, man, it's I can tell you that we in hiring staff for those types of roles, we didn't really pay any attention to their college degree accomplishment. We looked for those certifications, and that's how you typically advertise for those jobs. Not the college degree, these certifications. Uh, customers, when they were considering us for projects. They wanted to see, okay, who's going to work on this project? I want to see their resume. Specifically, I want to see their certifications in in whatever this, this area uh, and this project would entail from a technical and technology perspective. Makes sense. Well, that's, I think, now proliferated a large range of industries. At one time, it's probably more specifically applied to IT, but since then, that's that's become a sort of common across a, a wide range of industries. I think that's absolutely right. Greg Newton says, you brought up school boards. Newton, Mississippi City School Board has a board member that doesn't even live in the district. She lives in the Newton County District. I guess that would be as opposed to the city school district. We have talked to everyone but can't seem to get help from anyone, Greg Evans-Newton. I guess, I, Greg, I would perhaps... Call this to the attention of your rep, your senator, the secretary of state's office. Who else, Rhino? Would it make sense? The AG's office? And I'm not sure what the rule is, what the law says. Does one have to live in the the district to represent it? Because I know you don't, from a congressional perspective, House of Representatives, you don't have to live in the district you represent.
3: I don't know if that's state law or if that's left to the municipalities not sure or the local government I guess it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be a municipality
1: but escalating that uh, it, just to find out perhaps through your yeah uh, just go up the
3: chain i mean start yeah. at the local council or board of aldermen maybe the mayor and then if you get no recourse there run it up the chain to your rep or your senator yeah agree
1: Shack bully, and Biloxi says what happened to pantyhose over the face as a way to disguise uh, used by the criminals yeah I remember those days it was bank robbers it seems like they'd always depict them wearing the pantyhose oh yeah going into the bank give me all your money
3: <laughs> which that was originally implemented as a way to change the way your face looked so that eyewitnesses and then video testimony couldn't be used against you
1: exactly. What if you got caught wearing a ski mask with no insurance? <laughs> oh, gosh. Double defined. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they are talking about a specific ski mask that rappers wear as fashion. They wear them in malls when it's hot outside and commit crimes with them. Yeah, I think that's right. And
3: yeah. that was something I was saying in the break, is I could see... If if you had a rash of youth wearing a certain item of clothing, then maybe in a local area you could have an ordinance. But it, it's tough to outlaw winter clothing, winter accessories, in a northern city where winter is a big part of the climate. Well, they wear them in the summer, though. But it's not summer right now. No, They're banning I agree. it right now. I
1: agree. But if this uh,
3: happened in the middle of July, all
1: right, well, we got a problem here. Why are you wearing
3: a ski mask in the heart of summer? but it's winter time in
2: Philadelphia.
1: Well, d- don't forget the left tells us these are these are peaceful people <laughs> right <laughs> pay no attention to them burning the buildings down and pillaging the inventory they're they're truly peaceful. I'm a garbage man I make seventy thousand a year, says Johnny on the coast. yeah i certainly there's uh there's some truth to uh the fact that those with with certain degrees on average i think it's fair to say earn more than those without but the point is there are a lot of qualified people that can do jobs as walmart has found out they know a little bit about hiring people that uh i think
3: the main problem is higher education has looked at as a one-size-fits-all answer. No doubt. And it's really not.
1: That's totally true.
3: Whereas, If you're going to get a four-year undergrad degree in computer science, you're
1: literally wasting your time. That's basically true. I agree with that. But the certifications, on the other hand, which typically are administered by the makers of the technology to certify you on those various technologies, be it hardware, software, combination, architecture doesn't really matter, highly targeted, I mean, highly concentrated, specifically on whatever is that technology. So once you complete that, you pass all the tests, you pretty much are ready to go. You've proven, yes, I can can design, I can implement, I can support, I can maintain all the services associated with the technology. I have proven I'm worthy to do that, to your point. Having a degree in computer science, you don't get exposed to any of that.
3: You're now four to five years behind everybody else in your field. It's true.
1: If and, not more. Uh,
3: that's only if you're studying computer science in a computer science
1: department that is cutting edge. Uh, that's absolutely true. We are coming back with a final segment on Middays. Please stay with us. We're in the Alamut Well studio.
0: In, dance. in a dance we will go on Christ. When I, you, and everyone we you, do believe, do share what was true. Oh, I said, That's all day long. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines. Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. There's
1: some water running in. The granny glasses wearing Steppenwolf. <laughs> I don't know. Was it them or the birds that popularized the little glasses, the little spectacles? Uh, I think both did. Didn't Steppenwolf wear them? I know the birds did. They were Pretty popular across the board. They they were. Lennon had a pair. That's true. During that during that era of the '60s, that was a popular item. <laughs> Newton School Board Greg is right says we read pardon me read on the ceasefire text line law says they have to reside in the school district to serve on the board well I guess I again uh, Greg who reported that from Newton I, I would escalate that forward and uh, into some folks that could perhaps help you with that I, I'm a little surprised how that individual got on the ballot i guess the other question is have they moved do you have to stay in the in the district while you're serving in that in that position in that office i don't know that's interesting though for sure a lot of people in meridian wear a hoodie and a mask when it's a hundred degrees outside hmm says keith in meridian yeah it's just a it's just a popular look i think it's best to say
3: um, I mean, is it any different than the Fonz wearing a leather jacket at all times? It's it's just a different iteration of the I'm cool. <laughs>
1: exactly. And, you know, it's it, there's always been something. Oh yeah. You're right, that's kind of trendy and you want to be part of and I rolling guess rolling up your smokes in your shirt. That's for the from the fifties. Kind of a pop. Tucking thing. your pants and your socks. Not right. In my day it was the bell bottoms. And then when I was in college, during the disco era, you had, had the bell-bottoms that fit over your stacks. <laughs> Which meant they had to be about a foot at the bottom to fit over your stacks. Um, by the way, have you seen the John Travolta commercial? What is it he's, he's, um, he's peddling and he's dressed like Santa? And they're playing the Saturday Night Fever song. Oh, it's a Capital 1. a sure. Capital 1, right. If that's him dancing, he still got it, by the way. He still does the same moves he popularized in the movie. Still got it. Or was it AI? It could have been. You don't know. That's why <laughs> I said. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh man. Um So uh, Karen sent a nice text. I appreciate that. It says, I have the utmost respect for you, and I'm fine with agreeing to not agree, but I respectfully ask you to just consider this. In the political climate that exists right now, we have no choice but to look way down the road on everything our government does. We have no choice but to consider how anything implemented by government intended to help could be abused, because if we don't, then we just – Then we we are just the right election away from having a government in the wrong hands who could just decide one day, you know, I don't like the way Gerard thinks or explains things to his audience. He has some conservative opinions that could be detrimental to what's remaining in power find out what his license plate is, and flag it so it pings off all those cameras, and we know where he goes, where his family and friends go. That's why it's important. If they want to keep us safe, they can enforce our laws and punish lawbreakers. You probably won't remember this, but I was the one who tried to tell you about the pedophilia agenda. They were trying to usher into our schools. You said, ridiculous. I said, you'll see. Honestly, I don't remember that, Karen. I appreciate the note. One of your best shows every day, guys. Thank you. Um, I've never denied the fact that radical gender ideology is something that the left has been thrusting into our our, our schools and trying to indoctrinate our children to. I've, in fact, I've said that the underpinnings of the left in this country are are the pillars, honestly, of their gender, climate, race, and gender. So I, I don't recall that. I'm not saying you're wrong there, but, I yeah, I I've, I have thought for years that um, there are people in not only this country but in the world who uh, seek to normalize pedophilia. I mean, that's nothing new, Rhino. You know that. Heck, psychiatrist or psychologist, one or the other, w- wants to completely uh, eliminate it as, as, as being a crime. There are some groups that do and, and want to just categorize it as sort of a preference, so to speak which I think is outrageous, honestly. Um, But I share your concerns, Karen. So what I've said often about all the sorts of technology, be it nuclear or AI or almost anything else you can dream of, is that there are positive, beneficial uses of it. There are malicious, detrimental, adversarial uses of it. And it's up to us. It's incumbent upon us as society to ensure that uh, we don't let those sorts of technologies fall into the hands of those who would seek to do harm against us. That doesn't mean uh, just completely abstain or abandon pursuit or use of it, such as the case with uh, LPR, AI, et cetera. And the other thing that concerns me is we can't find enough people to work in law enforcement. So if we can augment law enforcement, in some reasonable way with guardrails around it to keep us safe. I'm all for it. Out of here today, folks. Thanks a lot. Stay safe and God bless. A
0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.